It's good to see you all here tonight. People show up on a Wednesday. Imagine that. <laughs> oh, my word. All right, let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. I pray that I would not be in the way of what you have to say to your people tonight, Lord God. I pray you say the hard things that people need to hear, Lord God, and I pray you'd say the loving things that people need to hear tonight, Lord God. We just give you glory and praise tonight in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Turf wars. Isn't that funny? Like, like I was, look how gangster that picture is right there. Like he's strapped. This guy's got blood on his helmet. They're not messing around. It's funny because uh, I think some people wonder where those graphics come from. So all that happens is you send Pastor Brittany the title and the verses, and she creates the overheads. So whatever she wants, whatever, however the Lord leads. That's good. Anyways, okay, so we're in the book of Acts right now still, chapter 19. Let me catch you up on where we're at. When we last left the Apostle Paul, he was in Ephesus. Uh, God was doing unusual miracles through him. Unusual, like handkerchiefs and things like that, that he had touched are like casting out demons now. Here's a handkerchief. Paul passed by it. Demons are running away from it. People are getting healed by it. That's, that's unusual. <laughs> it's unusual. But it's all confirming the message of Christ. He's preaching the message of Christ and the gospel of Christ. And then these miraculous things happen because they confirm the fact that what Paul is saying is true. So everybody watching, it's not a magic show. Everybody watching is like, well, what he says about Christ must be true because look at these miraculous things that are happening. Now, we also saw last time that the seven sons of Sceva, and Sceva is some sort of high priest. It was a little questionable in my research about how much of a real priest he was, but uh, he's a high priest, I put in quotes in my notes, um, and they travel around using incantations, healing, and exercising evil spirits, um, him and his sons. So I got more of the impression that they weren't necessarily real priests, but maybe just kind of um, religious figures or spiritual figures that kind of show up in town and everybody's like, oh, wow, look at the great things they're doing. They're exercising the demons and stuff. Not exercising them, but like exercising the demons. <laughs> but at this point, they attempt to use the authority of Jesus' name in their spells, I put in quotes, um, and then they paid the price for it. Because you remember that part where the seven sons of Sceva say, hey, in, in the name of the, the God that Paul preaches... <laughs> come out and the demons are like, listen, we know Jesus, we know Paul, we don't know you. And then they got beat up pretty much. <laughs> but the news of this encounter spread all through Ephesus and the Lord's name was magnified because of it. People were turning from their wicked ways because of what happened in this event. We see in Acts chapter 19, verse 19 and 20, the verses right before the verses for tonight. It says, also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Um, 50,000 pieces of silver is roughly like $360,000. Wow. 
So, Paul's doing miracles and preaching Jesus. These false prophets, essentially, these false miracle workers, get creamed by a bunch of demons. Everybody's like on the God train now, and they start burning hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of these magic books. It's quite an investment they're burning up, isn't it? The magic industry must took a serious hit that day, huh? <laughs> like, I'm sure there's some magic shop owners that are just looking out the window like, what just happened? Our day just got wrecked. And I think that, what, what's the impact that this had on the people who made money from the sale of magic books? Because think about it. If they're burning the books they do have, they're probably not going to buy more. Yeah. And if they already had 300 and some thousand dollars worth of magic books in circulation, obviously business is booming, right? right? That's a lot of inventory out there that just got destroyed. Um, so what's going on with them? Paul spreading the gospel is negatively affecting day-to-day -day business in Sin City. <laughs> Ephesus is hurting in the sin business because Paul came to town. I was thinking, as I was trying to compare it, you know, I want to make some kind of comparison that makes us understand the significance of it. And this is what I thought of. I thought of rated R movies. Some of you just cringe. Like, really, we're going to say don't see rated R movies? I don't know. You tell me. I even feel guilty watching a PG-13 movie with my son. Sometimes I'm watching a Friends episode, and I'm like, am I really watching this with my son right now? So rated R movies, right? Okay, here's some statistics. The U.S. is approximately 50% Protestant Christians. They say it's like 7, <laughs> right? That's what they say, right? But think about this, though. If the news wanted to skew a statistic, it'd try to minimize Christianity, right? So if they're trying to minimize Christianity, and you still have 73%, whatever, when you count Mormons and Catholics in the mix, 50% Protestant, that's the number I'm going with, okay? I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just going with the 50%. That's about 150 million people classify themselves as Protestants. There was 43 R-rated movies released in theaters last year at an average of $42 million take home from each film. 43 movies, $42 million each. That's $1.8 billion in rated R movies alone. And that's the small market. The big market is PG-13 because that's where they get you to compromise your values. Like you went to it because it's not rated R, but it's just as bad as rated R. But you tell yourself like it's okay because it's only PG. Yeah. I'm not even talking about those. I'm talking about R. $1.8 billion in sales. So if you cut that in half, if all of these Protestants stop seeing rated R movies, that's about a $900 million hit on the industry in one year. That's what I thought of when I thought of the magic books. That's huge, right? I think the industry would probably take notice if Christians actually like stuck to some kind of moral regulation in their... <laughs> now, other industries in Ephesus have taken notice about how Paul's message has turned people away. So let's look in the book of Acts here, chapter 19. I'll start in verse 21. My first point is, how hard are you fighting to hold on, the, hold on to the idols in your life? How are you fighting to hold on to these idols in your life? Let's look at uh, 19. I'm going to start reread 21 through 28. It says this. 
When these things were accomplished, all the books getting burned is what just happened. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Arcadia, to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he went to Macedonia. Uh, so he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered with him, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a time. I must have really set them off, right? Because he just caused this big commotion, but he's going to hang out for a while. I'm pretty sure they were like, can you just leave, please? But he hung out. Paul. Verse 23. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way, which is the, their, the movement of Christianity that's called the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, which is the, the god that they uh, uh, worship there in Ephesus, or temples in Ephesus, all that kind of stuff. Um, Diana brought no small profit to the craftsmen. So basically, he's getting rich off of making these idols in Ephesus. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation. He's gathering up people to, to twist. He said, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made by human hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana. She may be despised in her magnificence and, and, and destroyed, whom all of Asia worships. Everybody worships her, and she could get destroyed if we let this Paul do what he's doing. It's so, it's so uh, upsetting. I need you to understand how upsetting this is. I need you to partner with me. And when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Emphasis mine. <laughs> Paul's ministry is infringing on Demetrius' turf. Yeah. He saw what happened with the magic books and his silver shrines are sure to be next. I'm sure that's what's going on here. Why would he not think the shrines that he makes a living off of, makes a fortune off of, would be the next thing that people are going to turn away from if they've already cashed in hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of magic books. But we see here in this section of scripture, Demetrius lists off his top three concerns. He makes a lot of money in his job. He's worried about the reputation and respect of his business. And their goddess will be discredited, whom currently all of the world is worshiping, apparently, according to Demetrius. Now, this is a literal story that actually happened. Right? But often our actions reveal our heart conditions. So they're physically making idols out of metal and selling them to people who will then in turn worship these idols. Don't have a ton of that going on right now, or at least not respected in the Christian world, right? Not a ton of it, but we sure have our idols, don't we? They're a little sneakier than a shiny metal thing sitting on the counter. Now, I've been to other countries where it's very prevalent. Like every store you walk into, every house, they have their little shrine, right? They're not ashamed of it. They have it out there. They've given it stacks of fake money and like six packs of Coca-Cola. They're taking care of this idol. But in our country, we're a little more sneaky about the idols that we hold on to and fight for. Now, Demetrius is defending his idol 
of making business, but revealing that his business himself has become an idol unto himself. Do you get that? He's defending his idol-making business, but revealing that that is an idol to him unto itself. This reminds me of a sermon that Pastor Butcher preached at the, uh, the Mini Men's Advance this summer um, about four idols that we worship in our lives. And the reason why I remember it, because it was very convicting for me. <laughs> There's this one phrase that, that just came to mind a couple weeks ago. It's, uh, hopefully somebody famous said it. I probably didn't invent it, but I just can't remember who. The difference between humility and humiliation is repentance. So, there's a lot of value you you feel convicted by the, the words somebody that gives you, right? Because then you can see it, and then you can change what you're doing and repent. Because if you don't, then you'll end up humiliated. Thank you. So, the first idol that Pastor Butcher brought up was comfort. And this one's the hardest for me. I... I if I'm being honest with myself, I've spent an awful lot of time in my life trying to get to a spot where I can just take my foot off the gas and be comfortable. Really. Yeah, I know. Shame me. It's fine. You all are pursuing the utmost. It's only me. But, but every time I get to that place where I feel like I'm just cresting over the hill and it's all coasting for the rest of my life from there, there's another hill on the other side. You know how like when you're coming up a hill and you think you see the top, but once you crest the top, it just keeps going? And the Lord just has to drag me kicking and screaming like, listen, the next one, let's go. Why can't I just stay here? I'm almost to the spot of comfort. I, it's interesting, and it just, so recently it became apparent that it's quite possible that my administrative job is going to come to an end. And I'll have to go back to my old life. So what's interesting about it, though, is that when I got this administrative position and the two and a half hours a day of commuting, I complained a lot about it. I did. Uh, you might have heard it. <laughs> I complained about the commute. I complained about the type of work I was doing. I complained about how I felt like it didn't have any value. I was complained about how I'm not a hero anymore and no one respects me because all I do is sit at a desk. And then about a week ago, I found out that you're probably going back to the fire line. I'm a firefighter, in case you don't know. Um, I found out I was going back to the fire line. And you know the first thought that popped into my head? I'm going to miss my office. <laughs> I just, I just got it all settled. Like, it's dialed in. I'm comfortable. Isn't that crazy? Two months ago, I was complaining. Two days ago, I was like, no, I don't want to change. But I'm not the only one, am I? No. Thank you. I appreciate that. Demetrius has a good job with great pay. This is an idol because it represents safety and security and his future. No need to trust in God if all your needs are met by your job. That's why your job or your way of making money, it can become such a bad idol, that comfort. You're comfortable because you feel safe and secure because you don't have any concerns or worries. You're not trusting God for it. Now I could go on all day about, oh, God, bless me with this job and all that kind of stuff. And that's true. But when you boil it all down to the bottom level, I'm comfortable because I have a good job. 
if I didn't have that good job, be honest with yourself, I would not be comfortable. And I would not be like, the Lord is my provider. Like now, I'm like, oh yeah, the Lord's my provider. I love it. But in times of when things are great, it's easy to say those things. But your convictions are really tested when you actually have to use them. And I think that's where Demetrius is at right now. He's got a great job with great pay, and he doesn't want to see that go away. But the answer to worrying about your comfort and making it your idol is to deny your flesh, choose faith over fear. You have to understand who your provider is. You can't be afraid of what could happen in the future if... You have to know that if God is your provider and God is your protector and God is bigger than all of this and he's bigger than jobs and he's bigger than people and he's bigger than drama and he's bigger than everything. If you believe that, then you should be able to move forward and not worry about where your comfort's going to come from because you know who your provider is. Matthew chapter 6, 31 through 34. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. It's so true. It doesn't do you any good to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> you have very little control over the things that will happen tomorrow. I, one of the reasons why I like this verse so much is it's such a calibration verse because the things that he says they're worrying about are what they will eat and what they will drink and what they will wear. Talk about the most basic, basic of necessities. I'm worried about traffic, and he's talking about what am I going to eat. So when they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, we're freaked out and worried, it's because they're starving and naked and thirsty, not because they have a job that causes them to commute, not because they're worried that their boss is going to change their four-day week into a five-day week. What happened to my weekend, Jesus? All things will be added unto you, Pastor Jay. No. That's what's like in my mind. I say to myself, like, we're talking about your needs, right? Do not worry. He knows what you need. God's not worried. The second idol, significance. I think this is especially prevalent in men. I don't know how it works in the women's circles, but I know in the man's circles, it's very common to have this kind of posturing relationship, you know, and, and I always like to think I'm above it, um, but this just happened actually a couple weeks ago. I had saw somebody that I hadn't seen in a long time, and um, they asked me how it was going, and I made this job that I complained about sound like I'm like the, the, the man. I start throwing out, start throwing out big numbers of the things I purchased and, you know, pretty much the rise and fall of the fire department's really on my shoulders, but, you know, I mean, that's just kind of what's going on. And I'm not even kidding. Like, the words came out of my mouth and right after I thought, right after it came out, my thought was, really? You're now bragging. 
I don't even care. Like, I mean, it was cool to see this guy, but what I'm saying is that I don't really care what they think. Why was my reaction just to start bragging about stuff that I don't even want to talk about? But you know what? This is even funnier. I'm pretty sure he, he went ahead to do the exact same thing. All of a sudden, he's worldwide. He's coast to coast. Yeah, I'm traveling to wherever the next week. And, you know, you know, I'm the vice president of the, you know, whatever brick factory. And I'm just like, <laughs> and, I, and no joke, like after that, I, I, I really don't know what happened next because all in my mind, I'm thinking, we're really doing this right now. I'm about 90% sure he could not care less about what I said, and I'm clearly sure that I didn't care what he was saying. We're saying nothing, but that's what we do. We need to be viewed as important. We want people to think we're important. I can't help it. It just comes out sometimes. Sometimes I intentionally tell myself, you are about to talk to somebody. Do not talk about yourself. And 15 minutes later, I'm tearing myself. I'm bored with what I'm saying about myself. Why am I still talking? I can't segue out of it. I'm still talking. And they got that look on their face. They're doing kind of the backward side shuffle. Every time. But that's what we do because we want to protect our turf. We want to protect our turf. I find myself posturing when somebody else might, it might get to a level where I think I'm at. Because if they get there, then it's going to make me feel less in that level. Yeah, Why? Yeah. Have I not still attained what I've attained? Have I not still given it all to the Lord? Then why do I care if somebody reaches that level? Why does it make me want to defend my turf? Why, when somebody else that I meet... Why do I feel embarrassed about my credentials? Because how am I going to defend my turf if they know the real truth? That's what we do. We have the search for significance. Our job title becomes who we are. I think that's what's happening with Demetrius. He's worried about he'll be viewed negatively. Why? Because he's worried that his industry will be viewed negatively. He obviously feels like he gets some sort of level of authority and prestige out of his job making these idols. Everybody needs them, uh, you know, because after all, the entire continent of Asia is worshiping him. And he's the provider. But we need to know whose we are. Right? That's so much more important than who we think we are, our job title. First John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it does not know Him. Children of God. If you're going to brag about something as a Christian, let it be that you're a child of God. Not what job you do. I have so much like... Approval. That's the other idol. Approval. Ah, it's killing me. I want people to like me so much. I just can't help it. It's just the way I'm wired. I'm always like, and maybe that's why I want to throw stuff out that I think is impressive. Because if I say stuff, then they're going to be like, oh, really? Because it happens. It feeds the fire. Approval. It can get in the way of God's calling for you. Yeah. 
It can make you not want to pursue God's calling because people won't approve of it. Not everybody. Just those people that you seem to want to have their approval so badly. Why? I don't know. Why do you want that? I don't know. But you do. If you're uncomfortable knowing that someone isn't pleased with you, you agree with the group just to keep peace even if you don't agree? Too often. You will do anything to avoid conflict even if it means compromising your values. Like participating in gossip, allowing backbiting. You let it go. You don't want to say anything because then everybody's not going to like you. You want to have approval. You want to stay within it. That's a trap. If your goal is to gain approval from men, you will end up compromising your convictions. And that's just the truth. Not everybody's going to like you. And I guarantee you, if you stand on your convictions, there will be people who don't like you. Just get used to it. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Acts 5, 28 and 29. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend on bringing this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. Galatians 1, 10. Paul said, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still seek to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. If you are Christ's disciple, and you are blood-bought Christian, you believe you are saved by his grace, then why are you fighting so hard for the approval of men? What, what, what real value does that have? I don't know. We've made it an idol. And the fourth idol, and maybe one of the, the most damaging is control. Because control is an illusion. The only thing you can control is your attitude and how you respond to things. It's really all you can control. Honestly, the the feeling of being in control makes people feel safe. And when your safety is threatened, it is a very uncomfortable feeling. That, That feeling of your safety being threatened will make you do strange things. But if you really were aware of all the danger that's in the world, you might not leave your house. If you were aware at how little control you actually have and how close you are to death at any given moment, you might not want to leave the house. So cling to your feeling of control because it's what gets you through the day. That's what gets you out the door. That's what makes you drive on a two-lane freeway, 50 miles an hour, directly at another car with a strip of paint protecting you. The paint will not stop another car from crossing the lane. Uh Uh-uh. It's good, though. It's good that you don't know how close to death you are at any moment. It's good. And honestly, I look at it like a roller coaster. And I've done it. You've done it. Maybe this is you. You get on this roller coaster, and you know it's going to be a wild ride, and you're holding on for dear life. To what? The bar? You can hold on as tight as you want, but that's not going to keep the wheels on the track. 
Just let go. Let go. That's the best illustration of the lack of control you have in your life. You can sit there and put your hands up and just ride it out. Or you can hold on for dear life and pull a muscle in your neck because you think you're actually saving yourself by holding on to the roller coaster. What did Demetrius think was going to happen when he hit everybody's hot button? He starts talking about the idols and Diana and being discredited. What did he think was going to happen? He tried to control and manipulate the people. He ends up causing a riot. The reality is is he didn't care who his actions hurt because he was trying to protect himself. Get them all fired up because it's going to help protect his turf. It's going to help protect his safety and security that he has in his mind, his idols. The answer is surrender. Surrender and submission. You've got to trust that God has a purpose without always understanding the circumstances. Man, I wish my story from season to season was I walked through it faithfully with no concerns and no worry. I would love it if just one time I could go through something, something when I came out on the other side like I just trusted God the whole time. But that's not how it works. My face breaks out. Obviously, I'm stressed out. I'm fighting it. What's going to happen, God? And then I come out on the other side like, oh, that was my moment. I had the chance to just, I had the chance to frog this thing, just fully rely on God. And I missed it. There will be another chance. I just wish I could pick it up along the way, you know? Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It's in there. It's memed. It's framed and printed and hanging in somebody's bathroom wall. Why can't we understand it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. We cling to it. My second point is this. Don't fight for your own destruction. Don't fight for your own destruction. Let's look at uh, Acts chapter 19, verses 29 through 34. Starting in verse 29. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord. Having seized Gaius and Artesius, Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. So... Demetrius gets them all fired up, gets them all freaked out, and the whole city is now gripped with confusion. I wonder if that's what Demetrius was trying to accomplish. That's what he got, though. Verse 30, and when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Can you imagine what would have happened if he went in there? (laughs) Another miracle story, I'm sure. Paul wasn't scared. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent, uh, sent to him, pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some, some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Yeah. <laughs> and they drew Alexander out of the multitude, uh, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people, but when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice they cried out, and for two hours 
Great is Diana of the Ephesians. They wouldn't even let him talk. So they've gathered in the theater. They're all freaked out. They don't know why they're there, but they don't want to listen to anybody either. Dang. I'm so glad we've evolved in our culture to a point where we don't act that way. Verse 32 said, Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused and most of them didn't know why they had come together. But there's safety and comfort in the group. That's why they came together. If one person is deviant, the rest will follow. And you don't have to go any farther than traffic to see that go down. One person parks in the fire lane, everybody will park in the fire lane. If they get to do it, why don't I get to do it? Deviance. Lawlessness. We were at the, uh, my daughter Olivia plays volleyball. And uh, for George Fox, and they had, were up here, and they were playing PLU. PLU, Christian University, private Christian University, PLU. That's where they were watching the volleyball game. And uh, we're kind of sitting next to the student section. And so that's kind of okay, right? Because it's Christian University. They're probably all trying to emulate Christ in their behavior, you know, <laughs> saving themselves from marriage, those kind of things. And so there's this one kid who honestly was about this close to getting throat punched by my mom. We're like, it's okay. And he was just chirping and chirping. And I don't know if you have kids or kids in sports, but when somebody's chirping at your kids, you just want to stand up and say, you don't know how close you are to that person's parent right now. And if that parent happens to be a Marine... They could probably murder you right now in a fit of rage. And you don't know who that is, so you probably want to, you know, settle down a little bit. But I didn't do it because I'm full of self-control. But he's loud, and he's squawking, and he's just stupid stuff, you know, stupid stuff. And he's chirping, and there's several people chirping, probably at least four people, you know, chirping back and forth. And every time they miss the ball, they're making fun of them and stuff. And this is right after they made this big announcement at the beginning of the game about, you know, good sportsmanship and blah, 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 right? But it just takes one, right? So this guy's chirping, just all this kind of unsportsman, like, uh, you know, stuff, and my mom's eyes are just bugging out of her head and Thad's sitting in the middle like I got your back grandma and so but before the infamous throat punch happened this kid stands up because I kind of did the side eye because if things got crazy I want to know who's going to go down first you know so I'm like who is this kid and so he stands up and I see him walk out and I said, I said to my mom, I said, hey, that was the kid. He walked out. And I'm not even kidding. Not one more word from the crowd. Wow. Not one. And the, the, volleyball is like insane. They play like 10 games, man. Like you never leave a volleyball game. Not another word from the crowd. And so <laughs> there must be something wrong if everybody's upset, right? Maybe not. Maybe one person just got everybody fired up and nobody knows what's going on. But something I noticed about this assembly, where's Demetrius? Yeah. Isn't this the guy who started the riot? Yeah. Where's he at right now? Where are you at, Demetrius? 
Shouldn't he be there defending his point, educating the crowd on the issues, making sure they understand clearly what's going on? No, because in verse 38, the city clerk says, if Demetrius has a case, the courts are open. If, as in, if Demetrius was there, he'd say, if you have a case, Demetrius. So he's clearly not present. He creates the havoc to protect his own selfish desires, and then he takes off. He's clearly not working to protect Diana's honor. Otherwise, he'd be in the assembly trying to convict Paul of these things. The mob, the riot, they don't know what they're doing. Shouting down any explanation, walking towards their own destruction. They can't even see it. I had this dog one time. Oh, we had this dog. Forgive me, honey. We had this dog named Cooper. This dog was the most disgusting dog in the world. I mean, I'd always heard stories, but this dog... I probably shouldn't go into the awful, awful things that she would eat and then throw up and then eat again. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is that I couldn't give Cooper a bath because anytime I tried to give her a bath, she would squirm and fight and bite and scratch. So this one time I took a leash and I tried to tie her to hold her still so I could wash her so she couldn't run. She got so wrapped up in this thing. She's choking herself. Her legs are cocked back. And I'm like, ah! And I untied her and let her run away. All I was trying to do was clean her up a little bit and help her out. And she just went back, back to what she does. I never understood it. Why she was so just bent on her own destruction. Stephen Covey said, said this. He said, it's easy to get caught up in the thick, thi the thick of thin things. It's easy to get caught up in the thick of thin things. Spending your time trying to climb up the ladder only to find out it's leaning against the wrong wall. The people didn't want to hear the truth about the gospel in the way. They were content with their own destruction, comfortably hidden in the crowd that surrounded them. My third point is this. Finally, the voice of reason. Let's look at 35 through 41. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city, uh, that the, uh, what man, uh, and, what, and when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of, of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and the image which fell down from Zeus? Who doesn't know that? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who have neither robbed the temple nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and, uh, and there are pro-councils. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly." For we are in danger of being called into question for today's uproar, there being no reason for which we may give an account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Finally, someone with a sense of reason. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the concept. It's kind of a, I don't even know if it's a real medical term, but it's something we use as EMTs. It's called positionally stable. That means that you have a patient that if kept in one 
one position, usually laying down, everything's fine. They're conscious, they're aware, they can talk, they know what's going on. But as soon as you move their position, they tank. They're not compensating well, but as long as you keep them flat, they're going to be fine. The problem is, is they don't remember from the moment they go out and hit the ground and then come back to when they're laying flat. So they get kind of frustrated sometimes at why you won't let them stand up. I was like, sure, I can't let you stand up because you're messed up. So just stay laying down. I remember how we had this one guy. Whew, time's going quick. We had this one guy who we showed up, and he's laying on the floor yelling at his neighbors. I didn't want you here. What are you doing here? I'm fine. Just leave me alone. I'm like, dude, obviously he's fine. He can breathe. He's got a heartbeat. Shoot, listen to the guy. I don't, I don't even want to be here. So I'm like, I'm kind of, neighbors, just stand outside. It's cool. And I talk to the guy. I say, hey, what do you want to do? You fine here? What do you want to do? And he's like, I'm fine. Just leave me alone. I'm like, all right, he's fine. And my partner, who's a rookie, says, shouldn't we at least take one set of vitals? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's our job, so let's do it. So I'm trying to take a blood pressure on him, and I'm like, I can't hear blood pressure at all. And the medics are coming, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're going to give me such a hard time. And so they walk in like, oh, no blood pressure, huh? They get out their Doppler, no blood pressure. They get out their 15, actually, I just bought seven of them, their (laughs) $35,000 defibrillator. (laughs) Defibrillator machines? What? And they hook up this machine, and the machine can't get a blood pressure. And now we're all looking at each other like, oh, no. (laughs) This is going to go the wrong direction real fast. And so we're like, okay. And we're all like, we didn't say it out loud, but we all got eyes on each other like, okay. Here we go. Ready? Okay. We picked him up, and we're running out to the rig like this. And we throw him in the medic rig and lay him down. And he wakes up. And he's screaming, my legs, my legs. And the medic's like, you don't have any legs, Lieutenant Dan. He didn't. I'm not even kidding. (laughs) We're like, you don't have, what are you yelling? I'm sorry your legs hurt, but you don't have any legs. (laughs) He didn't understand. He was vying for his own destruction. He wouldn't want to listen to reason and common sense. Positionally, he was stable. But as soon as you move him, he's totally off the rails. And so often, spiritually speaking, we think we're fine because we're not moving. And then as soon as we get forced to move, everything goes off the rails. We start rallying the troops and trying to protect our turf. Unaware of the danger. You know, it's really easy to throw the guy who makes idols for a living and rallies up people for rebellion. It's really easy to throw that guy under the bus because he's clinging to the idols. But don't we kind of do the same thing too? We rally people around us who will agree with us and make us feel like our idols are okay to trust in. And you're comfortable. Well, what's good for you? And, but don't you see how this benefits everybody that I stick tight to this idol and I don't want anybody to move me for fear that I'll go down? We cling to these things because they make us feel safe instead of clinging to God. But Luke 12, 34 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The reality is this, is that the difference between humbled and humiliated is repentance. 
So if, if some idols have come to the surface, maybe it's not those four, maybe it's other ones, but if idols have come to the surface and you see you're basically being a Demetrius, staking out your claim, fighting for your turf, protecting your idols, not seeing how on the edge of destruction you are, you need to stop doing that tonight. You need to understand that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He is your salvation. He is your protector. He is your caregiver. And you need to start believing that. Repent of clinging to your idols before you get humiliated and come back to Jesus. You get that tonight? Why don't you bow your heads? Maybe you're in this place and this is something, maybe it's new. Maybe this whole Jesus thing is new. Maybe it's something that's been weighing on your heart for a long, long time. But today's the day that you want to give your life to Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity. If you want to give your life to Jesus, put your faith wholly and completely in him and trust him alone. We want to pray with you. If that's you, you want to give your life to Jesus for the very first time tonight, just raise your hand at me. I want to, I want to pray for you. Now, maybe you're in this place and you've been far from, from the Lord. You've been far from Jesus and you know you've been off, off pace, worshiping idols, the proverbial idols in your life. And you need to come back to Jesus. You've been gone for a long time. Today's the day. You're coming back. You're recommitting. Life's going to be different. We can pray for you too. If you want to come back to the Lord and live your life for him again, repent of your wicked ways and be a living for Jesus, raise your hand. We want to pray for you too. Praise God. Praise God. If you'd be willing, would you come up here and somebody can pray for you? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Why don't you all stand with me? Amen. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We just give you all glory and praise. You are our healer. You are our provider. You are our savior. You are you're, you're our all in all. Lord, we want to trust you wholly and completely and, and just uh, drop every idol that we have placed in your place, Lord God, and just serve you alone. We love you, God. We thank you, God. Uh, amen. Amen.